Welcome to Word on the Block, a weekly podcast on the updates on the world of crypto and blockchain. Welcome to Word on the Block, episode one. I think you have to decide pretty quickly that are you going to be educated about the space and do you want to understand what's going on? Ethereum essentially provides the blockchain and they provide flexible blockchain so that other developers and companies can come and use the blockchain. The circulating supply. There's 666 trillion of those coins out there right now. <laughs> Excuse me, this is a family podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joined by my two co-hosts, the second and third placed members of the male cousins in my side of the family. I'm based in London. Jason, do you want to introduce yourself and what you do, basically, like in a, in a sentence? Yeah, so, um, like Daniel said, right, I'm I'm not based in London. I'm based in Charlotte, North Carolina in the U.S. I currently work on the technology side for Bank of America here in Charlotte. I work on the business aspect of technology, so working to drive solutions in the technology world and build them out as efficiently and as quickly as possible. Drew? Hey guys, I'm in uh, the investment space, specifically dealing with um, mortgages and consumer credit. And then for myself, I have a um, an FMCG distribution company in Central London that I started in 2015 after I left university. So basically what we do is we import high-end cosmetics, um, FMCG premium goods, so things in dental care, bath and body, wellness into the UK, and we sell them into the UK market. Our goods are all in the really hyper premium sector. And we opened a second business during the pandemic last year, an e-commerce business uh, that basically uh, is along the same lines, selling those ultra premium lines into the UK market, distributing the power of internet market. The reason for the connection people, so obviously we're family, but um, Drew and Jason introduced me to the world of crypto in 2017 uh, when I saw them trading Ethereum and Chainlink and Bitcoin and me not really understanding what was going on, but I was asking their opinion. And slowly they've educated me over the last couple of years about how, um, how the whole process works. And our decision to start this podcast is basically to keep up to date and uh, in trend about everything that's going on in this really exciting technology space and how it applies to the world of commerce and the way we live moving forward. We can, we'll do this on a weekly basis, checking on the key topics that have happened in the last week. Perhaps the biggest news from the top is the the number two cryptocurrency by market cap Ethereum has reached record, record highs. So basically, I think we're at $3,600 this week as a max out point. The beginning of the year, Ethereum was at $700. And of March 2021, year ago, it was at $200. So really exponential growth. From the beginning, Ethereum is the number two cryptocurrency. Jason, do you want to explain to us the difference, the basic difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum? So I think one of the main things out there, right, is what is the difference between Ethereum and Bitcoin? So Bitcoin has been the driver around cryptocurrencies in, in the world, or how people understand what cryptocurrencies is to this day, right? So Bitcoin is essentially just a currency. So we can look at it in the same aspect as the gold standard, right? So when you look at cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin, Bitcoin was the first pioneer in the market. So they they don't really have much functionality other than 
the ledger behind it, which is now what we're considering Bitcoin as the gold standard. Also, though, Ethereum has been another cryptocurrency that has taken off and they've solidified themselves as the number two spot in the market. But what is Ethereum, right? So Ethereum, essentially, it enables, on top of this ledger that we have the blockchain, right? And it enables people, companies, institutions, right, to deploy smart contracts and decentralized applications to be built on the on that blockchain and run without any downtime, fraud, or the need of a third party. And these are important things, right? So without the need of a third party, um, without the worries of downtime, without the worries of fraudulent transactions, people can build their applications on it and use this technology without very many concerns. So when you look in the crypto space and you're reading articles and listening to people talk, I've noticed that a lot of people have now started comparing Ethereum to the internet, right? So Ethereum is basically the base of many of these new cryptocurrencies that are coming out. While you have, for example, you have Facebook, you have YouTube, you have all kinds of programs on the internet, right? But there's the internet is the backbone of those applications. So Ethereum is essentially the same thing here. Ethereum is the backbone while you have other cryptocurrencies that latch onto Ethereum to support it. And I think now where the crypto space is in the world today is people are really starting to understand what are what what are cryptocurrencies and what what are the potentials of cryptocurrencies, right? I think what we've lacked for the past four or five years, especially when I first got into crypto space, is understanding what cryptos are. Because initially it's just it was explained to me by my friends that this is a currency. Realistically, if we look at it, only Bitcoin can be considered a currency. While Ethereum and all these other crypto, maybe not all the other cryptos, but a good amount of the cryptos, right? They're actually applications and they actually have use cases towards it, right? They actually have product that, that they want to have value. And that's what people are finally trying to understand. For example, uh, I was actually in the doctor's office two days ago, and the receptionist, I was the only one in the waiting room, right? And the receptionists were talking to each other, and one of them was telling her friend, she was like, look, I found this, this cryptocurrency called Ethereum. And I was, she was explaining it to her as best she could, right? She was saying, this is allowing all these other cryptocurrencies to do what they can do, right? And she was saying, I really think this can go to the moon if, if cryptocurrencies are the new wave, right? I think, yeah, the moon. Yeah. yeah, they all say go to the moon, right? So she was like, if cryptocurrencies can do their thing, this will be, this will have a big game changer. I think if we invest our money here, we can make a decent amount of money. So people are realizing now that cryptocurrencies is a space that has potential for them to make money off of. So I think this is a big thing, right? This is why we're seeing all time highs, right? We're seeing a lot of money come in from the consumer market. So the regular individual throwing money at cryptocurrencies. Um, so Ethereum is a much more flexible cryptocurrency blockchain uh, solution than Bitcoin, right? Bitcoin is kind of, as you said, it's a very specific user case. It's meant to be a store of value and everything has been structured as, as such, specifically with Ethereum, right? So everything that we, you and we've talked collectively about this year. So Drew, you tell me a lot about this. We know about this NFT stuff, this DeFi stuff that you're talking about. 
these applications, right, are built on the Ethereum blockchain. All these things that people are talking about that's not to do with Bitcoin, that's to do with blockchain, to do with the space. So uh, decentralized finance, Aave, Uniswap, applications like this, these NFTs, so these digital artworks that people like Beeble have sold for $70 million, right? These are, these are based on the Ethereum blockchain. Sure. Yeah, that's correct. Ethereum essentially provides the blockchain and they provide flexible blockchain so that other developers and companies can come and use the blockchain without having to worry about is my blockchain secure or, you know, like what are the security concerns of it? That's all handled by Ethereum. I can think it essentially allows. For example, like if a a company wants to use a blockchain, like it would be pretty expensive for them to go out and, you know, develop their own blockchain. There are so many potential concerns around developing one that's stable, is very secure and doesn't have any security concerns. And so I think that's one of the major benefits of Ethereum in that like, you know, one, there are a lot of people using it right now. And then two, it's a, almost an end-to-end solution for, you know, developers to come on to and to develop their own, you know, whatever the case may be, smart contracts, um, whatever the, the applications they want to use Ethereum for. But um, I think that's where you have, like, for example, I was talking to one of my coworkers yesterday about it, and uh, he was like, you know, like, why would anybody, like a company, how would they create a secure blockchain? Like, what's the difference between a blockchain and then somebody creating a very secure database? I think and, the issue there is when people want to come in and build new new blockchains, right? It's really about building that decentralized network, right? You have to get people to essentially ape in to your technology, right? And build on their own infrastructure on their side to actually foundation of blockchains, right? It's the mining. So the mining is the actual technology that computes these transactions, right? And like you were saying. Well, first of all, what is ape in? That's bringing it to a new point, right? So there was last week, there was uh, a new NFT that dropped. So it's surrounded around ape, right? So there's, um, a lot of these new NFTs are what they drop is they drop a, like 20,000 of them and only a certain few of them are unique. So the more unique, right, the more value it has. So that's what been going around in the NFT space in the crypto world, right? People were saying they've been aping it because they've been buying into these NFTs that are the ape. So that's why I said ape, but that's, not towards this topic, but it's the new one of the new terms that we're using in the crypto space, right? No question. So, go ahead. Well, so it's, a, it's literally like somebody out there created a bunch of apes. art pieces that are apes. And then people now, like that ape has become such a big thing that people are using the term ape in. Correct. Correct. Interesting. So guys, the question, right? The question, going back to this price, right? Why is the price gone so high this week? So... For me, understand from the beginning, Bitcoin is very, like, it's very self-explanatory as to why it's a store of value and why the price goes up. So there's a limited supply. The total number of Bitcoin 
cap is like 21 million. That's the maximum they'll ever be. And there's already 18 million that's been mined. So if we only have 21 million, if people see it as a store of value, the more money that goes into a fixed supply, so more demand fixed supply means the price goes up. With Ethereum, so I think this is a question for people to going back to the point about why the price is so high this week or why it went so high, is that it's not really a, there's no limited supply. So technically over the long run, there's, there, it's uncapped supply. Not uncapped, but it's not unlimited, but it's uncapped. The maximum possible supply, there's no top level cap, right? So price is going up, why? Because there's applications like these NFTs and DeFi protocol that require Ethereum. Is that the reason the price is going up? So basically the de demand is going higher than the supply? Well, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily due to that. I think, I, I get your point, right? The demand is definitely going up, but I don't think that's driving the price right now. I think the price driving right now is just people are seeing value. People are realizing that Ethereum is going to provide value long-term. And that's why a lot of these institutions and even regular people are getting in. I'm not an expert, definitely not an expert in, in investing or how, how stocks go up and down, right? Or even cryptocurrencies need to go up and down, right? But based on what you're saying, right, it should be based on supply and demand. How much is someone willing to pay for this stock or this cryptocurrency? How much supply is there out there, right? So the more limited the supply, the higher the demand, the higher. I don't think I agree with that. Supply and demand, I think, you know, plays a role in the price of it but like realistically the price of a cryptocurrency should be derived from the value that's created you know not the value that's created but the value of the network behind it, right how many people are using the network um you know like what is the cost of you know operating the network and then like essentially like how is ethereum being paid like a stock is derived from the value of the company, which is derived from future potential earnings, you know, the earnings today, you know, whatever that value, right? So I think that Ethereum is probably going up, one, because a lot of people are buying it, you know? Um, I don't think it right now that Ethereum is pegged to the actual you know value of like people using it because it's it's what market cap right now is what like almost like 400 and something billion dollars like think about the companies out there right now like you have apple that's worth like one and a half trillion dollars or you know one trillion dollars in market cap like i don't know how many what percentage of people in the u.s have an iphone but i would probably peg it as like 30 percent the world like people using apple products so many but you know with with regards to the ethereum like i'm not sure if you guys have read this but you know this ethereum 2.0 right so they're moving the consensus mechanism from proof of work to proof of stake so you guys familiar with this what's going on mm -hmm. so proof of stake means that there's encouragement by the network to hold ethereum in the network so to become right. a validator on the network you need 32 ethereum that, and that's the way, that's the equivalent of the miners work in the Bitcoin uh, blockchain. So that encourages people to hold. If there's Ethereum that's stuck in wallets that isn't circulating around the system, and then at the same time, there's more activity on the, on the Ethereum network as a whole, 
as these DeFi applications get more and more liquidity on them, as more money flows into these NFTs and flows out of these NFTs and things like that, there is still a question, even though the, the asset value is not limited like Bitcoin, or it's not fixed in terms of max supply like Bitcoin, there is an element of, fine, supply is increasing, but at the same time, the demand is increasing at a greater rate, which is why price is going up. And then I think you're absolutely right. I think there is a sense, like there was the news in the EU that so the European Investment Bank is pouring. So there, Andrew, I was going to ask you about this, is that they're going to start issuing these two-year bonds. Did you see this? These two-year treasury bonds. So they're pouring 100 million euros worth of two-year treasury bonds, and they're going to mint them on the Ethereum blockchain, right? And, they're going, and these bonds are going to be triple A rated. So institutional investment is coming into the asset as well. Wait, who's doing that? The European uh, Investment Bank. So it's the liquidity provider for the European Central Bank, as far as I can understand. Okay. And then the other thing is like, I think Jason, you were saying this before, is that there is a lot of people, like people look, and this is really just the most, like people will still look at the price of these coins and be like, okay, if it's, if it's 20 pence like Dogecoin or whatever, it's cheaper, quote unquote, than Bitcoin, which is not the truth, right? Because it depends on how many... No, no, market cap, yeah. But I, I do think there's an element that people think that, okay, Bitcoin's price is so high now, it's $58,000 or $60,000, that the next best alternative is now Ethereum because there's more space to grow, right? So your money would have times by two if you put into Bitcoin at the beginning of this year, it times by four. And like you said, Jason, like there's a couple of people that are sending me messages this week that, oh, Ethereum looks undervalued. So a lot of those retail investors are now moving towards Ethereum as well. So I think my basic point is that I think there's definitely, with regards to these price increases, there's two things. There's like anticipation of future rewards, which is why people are pouring money into it. But there's also some things like Drew said about the network that's happening, right? This increase in like volume of these NFTs, DeFi net network, um, DeFi applications, this uh, question of Ethereum 2.0, proof of stake. That, so there's a, more than one thing that's raising the price. This one is not just based on FOMO, right? There's actually real reasons behind as to why the price is going up. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, I do think, though, that, like, you know, there definitely has to be some sort of aspect of FOMO. You know, like, there are people out there that are going and buying. For example, Jason seeing somebody at the doctor's office, uh, a receptionist, like, what are the odds that they truly understand the all the practical applications of Ethereum. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's one of the You ever heard one of, of the... this like saying where like, you know, if if you're in like a taxi or whatever and your taxi driver is telling you to buy some sort of stock, like you probably shouldn't buy the stock. <laughs> yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, but I think so. I think that's one of the big the things that's changing now, right? It's, it's becoming easier to learn about what these what these cryptocurrencies are. And that's what's driving a lot of this new investment, right? It's gotten so much coverage on the media now that people are actually taking an eye to it and saying, what is this? And that's, that's one, another one of the reasons why people are getting into it is they're, they're starting to learn about it and understand maybe high level what, what are these cryptocurrencies doing. They might not understand all the, like, like you were saying, all the technology behind it and all the actual practical use cases behind it. But they're understanding high level and see, they see some sort of value going forward, and they see Ethereum can potentially get to a higher number. Yeah, absolutely. 
Well, so the, our conclusion on that is basically twofold, right? FOMO, institutional investment, retail investment, and then the same thing, the, act, the network, the validity of the network is becoming more secure because there's real use cases behind the scenes that are causing um, the traffic on the network to build up, which is just a supply and demand thing, then price will increase. We good with that? Yeah, yeah we're good with that. Last couple of things, what I wanted to ask you is that, you know this guy, the founder of the, the network, so Vitaly Buterin, right? Yeah, yeah, young guy. I, really young guy, right? He's like your age, Jason. He's my age, yeah. But the funniest thing happened this week, so I don't know if you saw, like, have you seen the way he looks? He looks like a little bit like a like an alien, right? Like a genius alien. Yeah, he does. He, <laughs> the, way, the way he walks and talks, he looks... <laughs> I saw this video, right? So because of Ethereum's, I don't know exactly how, whether it's transparent, what wallet he owns of the network, right? So it's not, I don't, it must be transparent because they managed to get this figure, right? So apparently in crypto terms, this guy is now a billionaire, right? So some guy, some lady on this pod, on this video podcast um, spoke to him and he, he, he asked, he, she asked that and said that, how does it feel to be a billionaire? And this guy's response was completely monochrome. He just didn't care what yeah. Oh, I saw the same thing. I saw the same video. So it was about a couple months ago. He was going to, so he's like he's like Russian by by um, his ancestry is Russian, right? And he was going, his, I think probably by birth. I don't know where he's from, but he was going back to Russia, and Russia was trying to tout him as like this the great big next thing, right? That's gonna save their country because he wanted to. So they were taking him around all these countries that they, or cities that are in Russia. And every single time that he was, every single time that he was at a new place talking to new people, his face, no change at all every time. <laughs> people were asking him about it and he was just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he didn't really care that he was there. He actually looks like a, almost like a like a caricature, right? Like the super genius, like. Yeah, he's like, yeah, like when you think of a super genius, right? You think of they have, they're not very sociable. Um, I don't know about him. I've never met him in person, right? But the way he presents himself online or in videos is what it makes him seem like. He's a super genius that doesn't like interacting with other people. Almost like that. Have you seen the show Big Bang? The Big Bang Theory, yeah. Almost like Sheldon in that show. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, right? Sometimes it's like, a, the, like the... I'm going to screw up this, this analogy, but sometimes the, the metaphor is actually closer to reality than reality. Yeah. You know, one yeah. question on this, Jason, because Jason on this topic, right, is that when we, when you first introduced me this, when you guys came in 2017, the question at that time was this idea of the flippening, right? So there was a couple of weeks period time where people were considering that is the price of Ethereum or the market cap of Ethereum going to pass Bitcoin? So the yeah. first couple of months this year, Bitcoin has been a little bit up and down, right? So uh, but Ethereum has skyrocketed, especially in this last month. So one last prediction on this topic is that do you guys anticipate this flippening will happen? Do you anticipate that at one point, given the fact that the Bitcoin uh, protocol, the Bitcoin chain, the Bitcoin user case is quite narrow and the Ethereum user case is actually, it's like you said, it's the internet of the blockchain, right? It's a blockchain custom built for people to build things on top of it. Do you think it's a possibility that five, ten years down the line, that this flipping could happen, that the, the market cap of Ethereum could be greater than Bitcoin? I definitely think so. I definitely think Ethereum just provides more to to the world than Bitcoin does at the moment. I think Bitcoin really will see Ethereum pass. Maybe not in this year, maybe next. I think at least by next year, we'll see Ethereum succeed 
or surpass Bitcoin in market cap because it's just the, the amount of value that Ethereum provides over Bitcoin is just tremendous, right? But like, what makes you think it's next year versus like five years from now? Like, well, if we look at if we look at the trends right now, right, we definitely see Bitcoin going up, right? But we've seen uh, Ethereum go up. Right, right. At the beginning of COVID, what was Ethereum at? It was almost at like two, three hundred dollars, right? And now we're it looking 89 at eighty-nine at one point. Yeah, it, he, even lower well. than low is eighty-nine dollars, right? Now it's at thirty-three hundred. And I think Bitcoin at at COVID time, I think the low was like ten, ten, twelve thousand. Correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, no, it was lower than that. I think it was like a couple of grand. Was it that low? Uh, like it hit like three thousand. Okay, so we're seeing we're seeing almost similar similar uh, margins. I mean, similar growth in this, in the in the Bitcoin world versus Ethereum. But if you look at that, if we we're saying it hit three thousand, right? What Bitcoin is at right now is around sixty something thousand. So that's about fifty fifty nine one. Yeah, but it's, it's hovering around fifty nine to sixty thousand. So that's about twenty x. While we see Ethereum go from eighty nine to thirty thirty three. I mean thirty three hundred, right? So that's what thirty x. But also, um, there doesn't seem to be too many competitors, right? So Ethereum, yeah. Ethereum has all. Well, I think, yeah. I think right now, is, I know some of the the future topics we're getting into, right? Is institutions are allowing people to invest in Bitcoin um, on their own side, but we're going to slowly see the growth there, where more and more people are going to be able to invest into Ethereum. Right now, since the blockchain is, I mean, Bitcoin is still like the the top dog in the network, everything, all the money is flowing to Bitcoin first. And then Ethereum will be the one that's next. So our assessment is basically that the flipping could happen, but it's going to probably be sometime. Jason thinks maybe it could be next year. I think Drew and me are more on the side of it's going to be a few years down the line, five to 10 years, I think. So, so great. Okay. Ethereum record highs. Let's see where it goes from here. The next topic that we wanted to discuss guys is about this, Again, maybe maybe the biggest topic of the week in terms of pop, uh, popular culture, but a week and a half ago, Test uh, announced their uh, quarterly earnings. Uh, they, rec- they announced record sales, and a lot of that revenue that they gained was brought about by, by their sale of Bitcoin. So they bought Bitcoin, they bought $1.5 billion of Bitcoin in February, and they sold 10% of their holdings, generating $275 million in proceeds that helped their Q1 uh, earnings. The actual stock actually dropped at the end of the first quarter because the majority of their revenue spike came from BTC sales, um, the, the sale of their Bitcoin holdings, and the environmental credits that don't seem to be going anywhere under this Biden administration. The, the cost basis, um, the increasing in the cost basis was probably you guys can tell me more about this, but this massive uh, global chip shortage that's causing uh, supply chain costs to be higher than, than normal. But the question, guys, is about this. Um, what do you think about this? Obviously, Elon, Elon Musk is maybe, he could well be the most well-known public figure in the, Bitcoin, in the cryptocurrency space. What do you think about institutions continuing to go into Bitcoin? And the news and the conversation around him pumping crypto in a way that's getting people that aren't educated about the space too overzealous and maybe we can speak specifically about this dogecoin phenomenon which um, i know jason you're super 
gassed yeah. to get on. So you want to take away with that? Yeah, so I, I think it's great that Elon is bringing attention to it, right? Uh, definitely think driving people's attention to what what is cryptocurrency like we discussed with when you see a figurehead of that stature built billion dollar multiple billion dollar companies right paypal trillion nearly trillion paypal tesla spacex he's on a mission to innovate around the world right so people when people listen to him talk they really think he wants to improve the world and he's been providing a lot of information to just regular people about what is Bitcoin, what are cryptocurrencies, and why he sees value in that. And I think people got to really take some thought into it when, when they listen to him talk, right? Because he's been also pumping up Dogecoin, which Dogecoin was a meme coin. I don't know if people really understand what a meme coin is. Created in 2013. So it was created by these two guys back then on Twitter. There was a meme that was going around. It was this, this dog, which they called Doge. And one day they were like, let's just create a cryptocurrency that's called Doge based off this meme, which has no real value or anything out there. And Elon's been pumping it up. He's about to go on SNL to talk about Dogecoin, do a skit on Dogecoin. But there's no real value in that. And so what I see in this, my own opinion, I see it as almost a bubble, right? So first in, first money in, first money out, those are the people who are going to make money because there's no actual value in this, right? So it's just people throwing money at it, saying, oh, it's going to hit a dollar, it's going to hit a dollar one day, and people think they can make a quick buck off of it. But there's no actual real value. Like I've had, I was talking to my parents about it yesterday. He, my dad, a lot of our, my dad's friends know that me and my brother are into cryptocurrency. So they were asking him, what do you think about, what do you think about Dogecoin, right? They were like, we invested in it. And these are just regular families with their, a little bit of disposable income they have to invest their money, they're putting it in Dogecoin, which is a high risk. It could be high. It's technically high risk, high reward, right? If it gets to a dollar, if you bought it like one, two cents, that's 50 extra money. But they have to be very careful on what they're putting their money into because really there's no value towards it. Yeah, have you heard of these new ones called like Cum Rocket? <laughs> Excuse me, this is a family <laughs> podcast. <laughs> 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 but, but I'm serious, man. Like there, there, there's this one called Cum Rocket, and then there's another one called Tits Coin, and they're uh, they're literally like they got these like porn stars to you know like uh, go on to there's influencer sites or you know like YouTube, Instagram, and post about them, and they're just like blowing up. Like people are like, okay, like. X, Y, and Z influencer talking about it. Like, let's go buy it. Yeah. You know, for me, this, what we talked about before about Ethereum, right? I think it's really, uh, it's interesting because I think you have to decide pretty quickly that are you going to be educated about the space and do you want to understand what's going on? Because there are spaces to put your money in this place that make a logical sense about improving the way things are, about betting on a better future, a decentralized future, right? To me, like if you educate yourself about Ethereum or about DeFi or about um, maybe, maybe this is a bit too far, but maybe some NFT products, pro projects or Bitcoin projects or Bitcoin ETFs that will come out in the future. To me, that's an investment. It's also, you're, it's like a vote to a future that you think that blockchain could provide the world. To me, this sort of stuff is just pure speculation, right? It's not, it's, it's not, you're not, there's nothing, as Jason said, there's nothing there. There's no... 
we talked about the actual utility of the Ethereum network, the actual utility of the BPT network as a store of value, right? There's no value to Dogecoin. The, the founders even said themselves that this is like <laughs> they have no clue what to do with this, right? They don't yeah, know it's a it's a bubble. It's this is literally like cut and dry bubble, right? You know, like you know, people like out there pumping. It's a pump and dump scheme. Yeah, and one well, day it's gonna dump, and people are gonna get burned. Yeah, people, yeah. and it's not gonna be like you know the Mark Cubans and Elon Musk of the world. It's gonna be the Drew Patels and Dino Patels of the world that are like you know, Doge to the moon. Is that what you think the the mission statement for Cum Rocket is? Pump and dump. <laughs> Dude, like I mean, like I don't even know. I was just I, like I heard about it from a couple of people. Yeah. Yeah, no, but you're right. It is pumping down. <laughs> no, but I think I think the problem. I think I think there's two things you have to look at here, right? I think it's great in the sense that people have access to buy into these these currencies, right? Because if you look 20 years ago in the financial market, it was really hard for the regular consumer to get into the market and start investing on their own, right? And so what was driving stock prices were, or stocks and all these companies were just institutions. What who what the value do they see in these companies? But now, even in the stock market today, we have Robinhood. But now with cryptocurrencies, anyone can get involved, right? So it's really about it's this younger generation sees, oh, we can make a quick buck. It's similar to what they saw in AMC, uh, GME, and all all those stocks. Quick, they were like, we can make a quick buck if we pump this up with all the capital that all these consumers can bring into the market, right? And then we can get some money out. But a lot of people are losing out because they see that as a quick way to get money. But you have to be in first. You have to be out first. People don't understand that concept. I had a lot of friends when, when that GME AMC thing was coming out. They, they were like, oh, we're going to make so much money off this. GameStop, right? Yeah, GameStop and AMC, right? They were going to be we're like, we're going to make so much money off this. Fuck the institutions. We're gonna we're taking over the the stock market, right? Now I, I was telling him, it's like that's not gonna work. You first of all, you us as consumers, unless you get everyone, the money isn't held by the consumer market. It's held by these institutions. They drive the prices, right? Yeah. But now with cryptocurrencies, w w people are seeing the same thing again. But my friends will be more wary towards it now because I've they've realized that you can't just get in these these pump and dump schemes. But I think that's why we need people need to be a little bit more careful on what they invest in. And like we back to the point when Elon is promoting Dogecoin, you got to be careful on what you hear from these these top dogs on what they're saying to you. Right. Do your own research is the point I want to say. Yeah. But you know, the thing about Elon is that it's like it's like I think the immediate thing you think is this pump and dump. Right. Yeah. With him, I actually think like he has more money than God. Right. This guy is like he—he's the wealthiest person in the world of the second after Bezos, right at the moment, right? I honestly think with this guy, he's just a troll. Like I think he enjoys the. Oh, hundred percent. He loves to troll people. He loves to troll. If you had billions of dollars and like people running your companies for you, like your sole purpose in the world is to you know like one, just make sure that like the people running your companies don't fuck up, but like two, like you know like I don't know, like you, I guess like your responsibility, like you don't have really any responsibilities in your life, right? Look at Elon Musk, like 
how many of the you know top five billionaires have gone on to podcasts and smoked a joint with their the the people of the podcast? Yeah, Rogan, right? You know, a funny thing is Zero. Like, he's his personality as well, right? Like this, I on that same podcast, I, I re-listened to it a couple of days ago, and he was cracking up about this comet coming back to to hit China, right? Or some deb not not this rocket debris that's coming this weekend, but this comet that was going to hit China. And it was called, it was in the native language. It's no, coming to hit Hawaii. And it sounded like your mama. So he was taking <laughs> the, the piss that this comet was, it was called your mama comet. And this is something that's going to affect people. But anyway, Elon is Elon, right? So, but Elon's got fuck you money. So he's got the definition of fuck you money. Do <laughs> whatever the fuck you want. I Just think- like Daniel got fuck you money. You <laughs> <laughs> rule with the cryptocurrency space takes off. <laughs> you know the safe moon, right? So another one is the safe moon. So right. my friends were asking me about this this week. Is that I think this safe moon is something that some of my friends were talking to me about this week. That this was meant to be the next point. Mm-hmm. Look at the white paper. If you go into a little bit more detail, it's the same thing. There's no proclaimed utility behind the. Coin. Well, I think that one. Yeah, that one is like you said. There's no utility, right? But people see it as. The problem is people see this thing trading at fractions of a cent, right? I've had so many friends come to me. They're like, yo, it's trading at 0.006 cents, right? They're like, it can easily get to at least a cent. It has no value, but it can get to a cent, right? But people don't look at the, the circulating supply. There's 666 trillion of those coins out there right now, right? So if you're saying it's getting to one cent, what is that $6 trillion that you're saying the market cap's going to be? More valuable than almost any company in the world, you're saying SafeMoon is more valuable than. Yeah, absolutely. I think even this week, the Doge passed like, it's like more valuable than Starbucks. Like, I don't know the figures, but because, in terms of, yeah. of mar- quote-unquote market cap, which is the wrong term to use. Past BMW, like, past BMW this week. Yeah, something crazy like that, right? Yeah. So, so, and there was one last topic on this subject. I don't know if you saw the story about this guy in the US. He was like 33 years old and he had like life savings of like 100,000 pounds. At the beginning of the year, he took the hundred thousand pounds, maxed out all his credit cards, right? Oh, I saw that. Yeah. US, you can go and he put everything into Doge, and that same that Doge is worth like three three million pounds on on the exchange right now, and he's not going to sell. So this guy, yeah. there was a story about this guy. He's not going to sell until it either reaches ten million valuation, or um, I think I think the other thing was that it's ten years in the market or something like this. But yeah, just be careful because some people are using leverage as well. They're using they're 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 using margin or they're using leverage. They're borrowing to get the stuff. So, like with everything, you just have especially to- credit cards. I would never recommend that, in my own opinion, right? Because the interest rates on those credit cards, they can come back to kill you. Debt is the biggest killer, right? In the U.S., yeah, debt biggest killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Leverage trading is 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 not good in in any sense, right? Margin. Unless you can actually like you know support you know, or service your debt every month outside of what your gains are and the potential investment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So guys, next topic is a continuation of this, right? I wanted to ask your opinion because you guys work for, or you've worked for large corporates as well as being self-employed, right? So Tesla were the big, the famous big first move of MicroStrategy bought a lot of BTC last year, right? We're seeing now um, JP Morgan. Um, so Jamie Dimon was completely against the world of crypto three, four years ago. He called it a Fugazi, a bubble. Um, and he basically, JP Morgan have announced ETFs based on on uh, on crypto and BTC moving forward, right, for their clients. Um, Morgan Stanley did the same thing. 
uh, companies like v like there's literally companies every day. There's companies like Visa and Mastercard that they said they're going to start exposing their. They're starting to 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 try and see how they can integrate crypto payments into their services, right? So the question I want to ask you as people that have worked for large companies as well is that where do you see this institutional investment going? So like how much institutions going to be fully exposed to it? Because I'm going to give you the contrary example afterwards, but what do you guys think? Where, where, where is this trend going? Um, is it just going to be BTC? Are, are more institutions going to get involved with ETH funds, um, ETFs, uh, things like this? So I, I think right now, right, they definitely are going to get more heavily involved um, in in the all the different aspects of cryptocurrencies, right? I think one of the reasons, like you were saying, J.P. Morgan, I, don't, I can't remember the name of the the guy who runs it right now, Jamie but Diamond, Jamie Diamond. yeah, Jamie Jamie Diamond, right? The reason he got in is because, like you said, Morgan Stanley got in four weeks ago or a couple weeks before J.P. Morgan did, right? And they saw thirty million, approximately thirty million in two weeks of capital come into that into that space. They saw 20, it was like 29.3, if I remember correctly. And that is something these institutions just can't pass up, right? If you see that much capital come in two weeks, they have to innovate. Otherwise, they're going to get left behind the curve. So if they see one company do it, you have to. So, for example, I work in Bank of America, right? And one of the projects I'm working I don't know if I should necessarily talk about this, but one of the projects I'm working on right now is the Brazil space. <laughs> should we talk about it and then proceed to talk about it? <laughs> well, I'm not going to go too deep too deep into it, right? And we're working in the Brazil space. And the reason we're getting into it is cuz we just don't want to be left behind in the market. If we don't if we don't innovate, right? We have we'll get left behind in that market. So, a lot of these these banks and these these um, institutional companies that hold the money, right? They have to keep innovating in order to be top dog in in the respective space you'll eventually see them go into all these other things if everyone else is getting into them as well, I think. Agreed. But um, I also think it, there, there's another aspect behind it as well that, like, one, um, you're right. Like, if, if, if you don't innovate, like, you, you don't succeed um, versus um, also if, like, competitors are doing it, then you have to do it. But I think it, it's also a function of, one, I think JP Morgan is only offering it to its like high high net worth clients, right? Um, yeah, yeah, private wealth clients is what they said. People, I mean, like to, to make money, you have to have money, right? And these these guys with a lot of money, they see this as an opportunity. It has a hey, I can make money in that space, and I've got a lot of capital I can put to work, like. I want to go put it to work and where do they go? They go to their financial advisor. If you can't offer that, you know, like strategy, then, you know, we're going to go take that money out of, we're going to pull it out of JP Morgan account. We're going to go put it into Coinbase. Nobody wants that. JP Morgan doesn't want that because now they can't clip their whatever percentage on that money, you know, because it's not traded within their account. So I think it's all, it is a big function of, hey, like, you know, other people are doing it, so we have to do it, but it's also providing the service to your client, right? JP Morgan's not taking a stance on I'm long Bitcoin or I'm long, you know, whatever. They're just providing the opportunity for their clients to be long, right? As the market matures, 
and as you know, like this space grows and whatever, then JP Morgan might be coming and taking a position, you know, like that same client who bought $30 million worth of Bitcoin or those clients, they come back to him one day and say, Hey, like, you know, I need to sell this block of, you know, uh, Bitcoin five, 10, $20 million worth. Like you can't just transact that over a network. I mean, I'm sure you could, but like, that's where broker dealers come in where, uh, you know, JP Morgan will say, you know, Bitcoin's trading at, you know, 60,000 today. I'll give you 57 and a half to take that, you know, large block of, uh, Bitcoin's off your hand. If you want to transact now, they'll take it. Now they're long on it, right? You don't see that today. But, you know, in the future, you may see that. But this is the question because you guys work in this field, right? The point of blockchain, the philosophical point of blockchain is decentralization. Less reliance on large institutions. So do you think there's a threat on their side that even if institutions get into the game, the long run picture on this is the point is to eliminate the middleman of blockchain. So what's, like I've, I've always found this difficult to understand, like wealth managers, right? Because it's nowadays, like you said, people have access to Robinhood. They have access to public markets directly. And we, I think most people have nearly just as much information as if they're looking long on things, they're looking for long-term gains or they're looking over a broader horizon. Do you think these like wealth managers or asset managers are threatened by this in terms of like, the point is to just be able to transact directly with the market, right? It says it in the term decentralized finance, which means that why would they necessarily need to rely on wealth managers, asset managers, JP Morgan Wealth Services, Barclays Capital? Do you get what well, I'm saying? I, I think, yeah, I get what you're saying, right? But I think there always comes to a point where people feel more comfortable with the money in so-called experts' hands, right? So these JP Morgan people, they're coming out and saying, look, we're an expert in this area. We can guarantee, they're not saying we can guarantee, but we, we expect this amount of growth every year, right? Yeah. And when, when they explain, when they have their sales pitch, their consumers, I, I've never had one, but I assume w one of the things they do is like, look, we're looking to get you 8%. You can do that. Then the consumer is saying, do I think I can get 8% on my own? So I think that, I don't think they're gone for good, but maybe there's a lot less that flows into that area. Because we now have the ability to do ourselves, but I think a lot of people, right now, it's just it's a, it's a new thing, right? So people are getting in on their own, but I think long term, people when you get to a certain age, people become you become more risk averse, right? They're not willing to risk their money as much, so they're putting it into companies that will say, look, we're we're gonna minimize your loss, and we're gonna try to guarantee you eight percent or three percent, whatever it is, every year, on your money. Yeah. That's uh, where it's going to stay. I also think that, like, uh, you know, like, as an asset manager, the people who truly need asset managers are people that have true wealth, right? Um, for example, like, let's just take, uh, you know, somebody who, you know, has got $10 million in the bank account. They ran, you know, a collection of stores or hotels or whatever the case may be, right? Um at that point, like, you know, like maybe you like to track your investments and maybe you like to do that yourself, in which case, you know, you would do it yourself. But the majority of people just have no idea. And quite frankly, they just don't care. You know, um, they want to see their money make money, but they're not going to be out there picking the, the one or two investment that they think will yield them the correct thing. 
but that's where you need an asset manager. You say, yo, I got 10 million bucks here. The asset manager is like, hey, I've got X, Y, and Z strategy. This is the yield return or yield profile of my strategy. Um, and, you know, this is, uh, this is how I run that sort of business. You're like, great. That meets my potential return threshold. Take my money. You know, there are certain terms for that money, like, you know, duration, how long, how long can you keep my money for? Like, you know, I'm going to eventually going to want to pull it out. Can I pull it out? Yada, yada, yada. But you're always going to have the need for an asset manager because they are specialized in some sort of asset manager. You know, it, I, I do think it gives Joe Schmoes like us the, um, the access to these like capital markets and, you know, it allows people to, um, who typically wouldn't have access to, you know, participate. But I think in, in general, like that's not going to relieve the need for asset managers um, because there are going to be so many people with lots of money that needs to be managed that they quite frankly don't want. It's, it's probably going to be, yeah, it's like with any new technology, right? We, the initial uh, enthusiasts or the early adopters think it's going to go 100% of the way. But usually the reality is that it will morph into the future, but there's always a mixture of the two, right? It's, it's all about how these companies innovate and present their ideas to the public, right? Going forward. Yeah. So how are they gonna how are they gonna present it to their their clientele to keep them at their bank? So the ones that provide the best strategy are the ones that are gonna succeed. Mm -hmm. Sure. On the institutional uh, side, one last point on that, right? I don't know if you guys saw, but the Find maybe the most famous investing company or invest investment viewer of the last hundred years, right? So Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, um, Berkshire Hathaway, the uh, big, the I think one of the five biggest companies in the world in terms of uh, balance sheet. Warren Buffett, the Oracle of Omaha, the most famous investor in the world. I don't know if you saw the video recording. So they did the live video recording of the annual Berkshire Hathaway share shareholder meeting, and both Charlie Munger, who's ninety-seven now. And Warren Buffett, who's I think in his early 90s, were asked about BTC and about the, the boom in BTC and crypto. And Munger, Buffett basically passed the question across, but he's previously said in interviews that he thought it was a bubble and that if he could short it, he would. But Munger basically, he had this really visceral reaction to it, right? And he said that he was oh, anti-humanitarian. He said it was unethical. And he said it just aggravated him to no end. So... These guys obviously have the most unbelievable track record of anyone in history, right? But w where is this coming from? Like, there's still, like, there, is there an element of the old not liking the new? No, no, no I, I think that's exactly what it is, right? It's these. The, let's go back to what I said a, a couple of minutes ago, right? 20 years ago, the regular consumer or regular person cannot invest in the, the stock market. It was all driven by these institutions and these people like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger, right? They're the ones who said, look, we understand these markets. Not saying they're not complicated. They're definitely complicated, right? But they were saying, we are the ones who understand the markets and we can invest for you. But realistically, if you take your time to do your own research, you can do it. You can understand them yourselves, right? And they see cryptocurrencies as a way that people can invest their own money, right? decentralized from these institutions it's not dependent on these these companies for you to 
you to be able to use those companies to get in the markets. So I think that's one of the reasons why these people are always wary of cryptocurrencies. They're set in the past times, right? They're saying people are risking their money for no reason. But I think that's the whole the whole point of this, right? Be able to risk your money in what you think is going to be provide value long term. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very interesting, right? The dynamic, especially, I guess, right, you can't deny these guys' track record. And obviously, oh, yeah, you can't deny their track record, yeah. But it's funny that in 97, why would you have that reaction, right? What, what is uh, That was the question for me. And you know what's really interesting to me as well is that that company, right? The big, the big, um, the, one, of the big the, one of the big arguments for Bitcoin, right, is that it's a deflationary currency. There's a limited number of these coins that will ever be minted into existence, 21 million. So it's like digital gold, right? And the big thing is that the, one of the big arguments is that as governments continue to print money into the economy nonstop, interest rates around all the developed economies of the world, the basic are baseline zero for so many years. Biden is still now doing trillions of dollars of fiscal stimulus into the economy. Inflation is going to be the next step. And mm-hmm. Berkshire Hathaway today have $140 billion of cash on their balance sheet, right? So a, big, you know, a crypto enthusiast would be like, look, inflation is going to come and that money is going to be worth, worth less and less and less and less. But I guess it's a, that's an interesting dynamic. I guess we'll, have to see where that one goes. Dude, at one point, though, I think I read recently that the Federal Reserve is kind of pushing back on the stable coins within um, the cryptocurrency world, right? Because they have no control over it. Because right now we've seen in the pandemic is that a lot of what's been happening is they've just been printing money out there. And we're going to see the, the repercussions of, with inflation. But with stable coins, you can't really just print. You, can, you can't just go out and generate new coins at will the specific like technology behind it right and they have to follow that so that's going to be a good thing to see in the future like how it's going to be handled between the fed and the, the stable coins right and seeing what what's what what's their relationship going to be yeah and the stable thought, is something we have to really talk about but go on either well i was about to go into stable coins i thought that like like for example like take usdc coin right that is backed like if if you purchase a USDC coin, the USDC company or whatever, they physically hold one US dollar in Correct. some sort yeah. of trust. Oh, but that's so, very skeptical. You know that. Right. That's what they say. That's what they say they do. Tether, how right. long, how many, Tether is the first kind of stable coin. They've had issues from the beginning about this stuff, right? This liquidity stuff. Right. Um, so, I mean, I, I haven't really done too much research behind it but that's interesting right because uh one like how does usdc make any money by just you know buying up coins and then theoretically their supply could be in yeah you know, i think this stable coin topic right there you and me discussed it before but like companies are going to get into this space right the uk had this announcement last week about the chancellor talked about this Bitcoin, right like Facebook announcing their own stablecoin. And one thing I never understand, and I wanted to ask you guys, then is that on Aave, on Uniswap, on these decentralized um, liquidity pools, you can get like 15% interest rates on these stablecoins, right? On DAI, on USDC. But that's a big topic, right? And the, again, Tether, as far as I understand, and you guys will know better than I do, but these original stablecoins like Tether, that question of, like you said, I think the, the mission, the, the value proposition is that 
for every coin, it's backed by a dollar that the company owned, right? Or the, the, not the company, but the, the blockchain. I don't know what the right way to describe that is. But again, there's a, a trust element there. That is, is this actually happening? Well, I'm saying a trust as in like a, a financial vehicle, like a legitimate trust where like it's, it's the trust is, is created on behalf of, you know, the company, the company, you know, places a dollar physical dollar into a trust, which is just, you know, like we could call, you could think of that as synonymous with like almost a bank account, right? One dollar is held in that trust for every one coin that is issued by them. Mm -hmm. And so in theory, if they have four billion coins out there circulating, they have four billion dollars in a bank account where if someone comes back to them and says, Hey, I have a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred thousand US DC coins, I want to withdraw money out of the trust. Yeah. I guess that's my skepticism about some of this DeFi stuff, right? Is that I don't like the amount of volume that's going into those stable coins like DAI, like Tether, like USDC. Is that is that happening? But you well, know, I think that's that's because it's so new. I, I think interest rate that you can't you can't sustain that long term. Those are such high interest rates. You can't sustain that long term. I think yeah. that's just because all of these things are new and then people are trying to get into them, right? But once there's so much supply and there's not enough demand, you'll see those rates go down. Yeah. So thanks for listening to the first episode of Say Hi to Drew and Jason in California. They love a good wave at the end of the podcast, even if you can't see them. And we hope to see you <laughs> next time. Hi. Thanks Thank everyone, you, everyone. For, for, uh, for joining.